0: Good morning. I want to give a special welcome to all the students from Karen this morning. It's so nice to see you here. I have three daughters who attend Karen. They're sitting over there. If you guys don't know each other, feel free to introduce yourselves to each other. But a special welcome to you guys today. Today we're, gonna, we're in the third week of a four-week series, which is called the Four Gs, Truths That Transform Our Lives. They, so these are four truths about God that start with the letter G. Um, And If you would show the chart that we had been looking at, this was put out in the introductory week and it talks about, the first week was about God's glory, right? And how God shows up and he shows, he manifests his presence in weighty and wonderful ways. We learned from Drew that we should have a holy fear of God and not a fear of other people because God is glorious. The second week, uh, last week, Pastor Brian spoke about the greatness of God. God is great and awesome and mighty, and because he is great and in control of all things, we can relinquish our control to him, we can give our fears to him, we can be free from our fears because he is great. Next week, a little preview, you're going to uh, hear a message about God being gracious, God is full of grace, so that's a preview for next week. But this week we're going to focus on the goodness of God, if you hadn't already figured that out. by... Of the four that were listed there, I think the goodness of God is the one that most people get stuck on. They can acknowledge God is great, God is glorious, God has been so gracious to me, but the goodness of God, I don't know about that. Because they look at it through a lens of their experience. So because this one is probably the most challenging of the topics, I created a handout because I thought it might be helpful to kind of get our thoughts in order and it might be something you want to reflect on later, so it's a reference for you to take home. So I wanted to mention in the beginning, since there's a lot of new faces here, uh, about five years ago, my husband, Steve, who's sitting over there, um, suffered what's called a sudden cardiac arrest. While he was playing basketball, he pretty much collapsed and essentially died and was rescued within two minutes um, by his friends who were around him with an AED, they used a defibrillator and brought him back to life. Just this incredible milestone in our family's history. And we testify many, many times how good God was to spare his life. But then you have to say, well, what if his life wasn't spared, does that mean that God isn't good then? So these are really hard questions, and we're gonna try and delve into them today. We can't possibly cover every angle about the goodness of God today. It's just such an expansive topic, but I hope we can have some really strong, solid biblical truths that we can rest our faith on, as well as encouragement to grow in our understanding of God's goodness. So it's really important that we're first going to establish from Scripture the goodness of God. So if you will look at your handout with me, um, there's going to be some blanks that you can fill in as we go along. And there's kind of two ways you can try and understand the goodness of God. And the first one is that God's goodness is a description of his essential character. That would be the first one. His essential character. The goodness of God is the very essence of who he is. Scripture makes this clear in many places. I could have chosen so many verses, but here's one from the Old Testament and one from the New Testament. Psalm 107 says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. And then from Mark 10, and this is when a man approached Jesus, he called him good teacher, and said, How can I be saved, Jesus? And Jesus said, Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, No one is good except God alone. The second way to understand God's goodness is by looking at his goodness on display. So he's good in his essential character, but he's also, we see his goodness on display. There are things we can point to as evidence of his goodness. Matthew 7 says... Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? My favorite verse, which is so simple and puts these two thoughts together, is Psalm 1:19-68, And it simply states, you are good and you do good. Teach me your statutes. And that's just what we looked at. You are good in your essential character, and you do good, I see your goodness on display. So let's look about some other truths regarding God's goodness and his word. First of all, God is good to all, to all people. And this is sometimes called God's common grace. So this is God's goodness expressed to mankind in general ways, that everybody receives undeserved blessings. So you would see rain, sun, prosperity, health, happiness, natural capacities and gifts that God's given us, and even the fact that sin is restrained and sin is not fully unleashed. So these are things that everybody in the world can experience God's goodness through. Secondly, though, God is specifically good to his children. That's our next point. So beyond showing his goodness to all mankind... With his general grace, scripture makes it clear that God is specifically good to his own children, to those who follow after him. Psalm 31 says, How abundant are the good things that you have stored up for who? For those who fear you, that you bestow in the sight of all on those who take refuge in you. Another point is, God is the source of everything that is good. James 1 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. So where does it come from? It comes from above. It's referencing our heavenly Father. So every good thing, there's no good thing that you can receive apart from it coming from our heavenly Father. God in his goodness has chosen to set his affection on you, and every good gift is like a cascade of grace coming down on us undeserved. And we can be fully satisfied in what God gives us because he's the source of everything good. The other interesting thing about this verse is says, God does not change like shifting shadows. That points out that God never changes. So God is good all the time, past, present, and future. That will never change. Another point is God's goodness to us is abundant. And I referenced the same verse I had earlier, Psalm 31. How abundant are the good things that you have stored up for those who fear you, that you bestow in the sight of all and those who take refuge in you. God's goodness to us is overflowing. I don't even, We can't even take in how good he is to us. The next one, um, you may need to look to see how to spell this word. I had to check it myself. God's goodness can happen unbeknownst to us. How's that for your English word for the day? <laughs> unbeknownst to us. That means we can be completely unaware of how good God is to us. Psalm 34 says, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. So the angels of the Lord encamp around us. His goodness is expressed in his divine protection of us. And I think we would be stunned to know how many times God and his goodness has protected us that we are completely unaware of. Uh, A famous pastor, Pastor David Jeremiah, put it this way, the reason why you don't believe in the goodness of God is because you do not know what you do not know. If you knew what you do not know, you would see many places along the way where God and his goodness has reached out and kept you. His goodness protects his people. Another point, God's goodness is seen even in his restrictions. And that's something we don't always want to hear. But God's goodness is seen even in his restrictions. Psalm 25 says, Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his ways. So even God's commands, his restrictions, and prohibitions flow from his goodness to us. Some people might argue, well, I want to do this, and God's preventing me from enjoying myself. But we have to remember his restrictions are for our protection. It's important for a moment I want to take a minute to think about what happened in Genesis 3 with Adam and Eve in the fall. Okay? When you look back to that, when Satan originally approached Eve and questioned Eve, at the heart of that, she was, uh, he was questioning the goodness of God. He said in Genesis 3.1, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? So in other words, Satan was incredulous. He's just like, why would a good guy restrict you from such a good thing? So he made Eve doubt the goodness of God. And once she doubted the goodness of God, it was much easier for her to disobey, right? She probably thought, well, if God's restricting me from something that looks good, why should I obey him? So doubting the goodness of God can have implications on our obedience to the Lord. One commentator wrote this, the goodness of God is a perspective from which we can and should view all of God's prohibitions as an expression of God's goodness. Eve did not understand why God forbade it, but knowing that God was good should have been enough. What a good God forbids must be evil, and what a good God commands must be good. And finally... God's goodness is seen in every one of his attributes. God's goodness is seen in every one of his attributes. And this states, the goodness of God is a character trait which applies to every other attribute. God's wrath is good. God's holiness is good. God's righteousness is good. God is good in his entirety. There is nothing about God that is not good. So again, to summarize in the most simplest of ways, Psalm 119, you are good. And you do good. And that's what God tells us in his word. So that's kind of laying a theological framework. Now we need to kind of wrestle with some of the hard stuff. So I think most of us can embrace the belief that God is good in and of himself, in his very essence. He is good. The immortal God, who always was, who existed before the world was created, before we were created, fully encapsulates all his attributes, including the goodness of God. So God was fully good before he created anything. His goodness transcends time and any circumstance we can face. But with this said, sometimes we face circumstances as believers, or as people, non-believers alike, and we question the goodness of God. And we draw conclusions about the goodness of God based on our earthly circumstances. And that's why perspective is key to understanding God's goodness. God's word is really clear. It says God does not, he does never do evil, and he never tempts anyone with evil. There are verses to support those statements. God never does evil or tempts anyone with evil. But evil exists, right? But his word makes it clear that he allows evil to carry out his good purposes. And if you want to look into that a little further, look into the book of Job. That's exactly what that is about, how God allows evil to carry out his purposes. But for those of us who have put our trust in the Lord, we have an amazing promise in God's word. It's from Romans 8.28, and a lot of you are familiar with this. I have a different version up here. Um, It says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. So if you are a true believer in the Lord, he works all these things together for good. So that's not saying everything that happens to us is good. That's, That's obviously not the case. There are tragedies, there are evil that happens in this world, but what it is saying that God will work everything, the good, the bad, the ugly, together for our good. He can take the most tragic and evil of things and from his perspective of eternity, he can turn it all around and and it can bring glory to him and also be to our personal benefit. The story of Joseph is a classic one, right, in scripture about uh, what we're talking about here. I can't go into all the details it's multiple chapters in the book of Genesis if you want to read through that. But Joseph was one of 12 sons of Jacob, and Joseph was the favored son, and therefore all his brothers hated him. So what did his brothers do? They one day they connived and they threw him in the well and left him for dead. So God allowed Joseph's brothers to throw him in the well and leave him dead, leave him for dead. Then he allowed his brothers to take him out and sell him as a slave to egypt many and finally joseph feels like he's getting his life back together things are going pretty well in egypt for him and then he gets falsely accused and god allows joseph to be thrown into prison for a number of years so god allowed all these things that seem tragic and evil but in the end we see how god used all of that for two reasons one to save many, many people from a famine that was happening in the land at the time, and two, to give him an opportunity to be reconciled with his brothers at the end of his life. So he's, uh, it, it's written in Genesis 50. So this is a time when his brothers came to him, not knowing who Joseph was. Joseph reveals his identity. His brothers are extremely sorry and probably fearful for their lives. And Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. And that's our blank, uh, I think that's a blank on the paper there. But God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. So God took all of those really crazy hard circumstances and turned it into saving probably millions of people from a famine and being reconciled with his brothers. So I would imagine during all those years, Joseph must have had times he he doubted God's goodness, right? particularly when he's languishing in prison, like, what is going on here, God, right? But clearly, God worked in his life to give him this amazing perspective, this biblical perspective, that it was God's goodness at work and that God had his purposes to fulfill. So God took the evil that was done to Joseph and he used it for his good purposes. I want to return to a verse that I I quoted at the very beginning, which is Psalm 107. But we're going to look at the first chunk of this psalm is actually quite a long psalm. But what I'm going to talk about here is a kind of pattern that will repeat itself further down in the psalm if you care to read uh, along later. Um, so Psalm 107, verses 1 to 9, let me read that. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story, those who redeemed from the hand of the foe, those He gathered from the lands, from the east and west, from north and south. Some wandered in desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty, and their lives ebbed away. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind, for he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. So going back to our most simplest of verses, God is good. If you look in verse 1, it says God is good. And he does good. If you look at verse 8 and 9, it talks about about God doing good. But it's interesting. If you look between those bookends there, you see all these hard things that the Israelites had to go through. They had to wander in desert wastelands. They were hungry and thirsty. Their lives were ebbing away. They were approaching death. They had trouble. They had distress. So between God being good and God displaying his goodness, there's all this hardship and difficulty. So what I want to state is, it's against the backdrop of difficulties and even evil that God's goodness is notable and striking. I'll say that again. It's against the backdrop of difficulties and even evil that God's goodness is notable and striking. How else will we know when God is showing up and being good unless it was in contrast to the troubles and trials and even evil that we experience? I really, it's it's really interesting in the verses 8 and 9 of, if you want to go back to Demona for a second, in verses 8 and 9, it shows how, says how God showed up in these trials to satisfy and fill them with good things, right? So this implies that the people at some point felt empty and unsatisfied, and God showed up and he satisfied them and he filled them. So this shows that going through hardships and trials is not counter to God's goodness, It's actually the backdrop in which we can more easily see the goodness and provision of God. Another verse that talks about the same idea about seeing God's goodness in the backdrop of suffering is Nahum 1 verse 7. The Lord is good, a stronghold when? In the day of trouble, right? You're in trouble, God is good, and he knows those who trust in him. Let me shift to the New Testament for a minute. So you all remember the story of uh, Thomas, the disciple. Sadly, he is known throughout history now as Doubting Thomas, right? Because Jesus appeared to the disciples after his resurrection. Thomas was not present. So when all the disciples told Thomas, Hey, Jesus appeared to us, Thomas, nah, not going to believe that unless I see evidence, right? Unless I see his scars and put my fingers in them and all. So then what happened? Jesus showed up a second time and Thomas was there. Right? And you know, Thomas said, My Lord and my God, and he fell down and he he believed finally, right? And what did Jesus say to him? He said, Because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So this is interesting. He wouldn't believe unless he had the evidence that he determined was the essential factor, whether or not Jesus was good, right? Whether or not Jesus rose from the dead, I will determine that, right? But Jesus said, blessed are those who see without believing. In a similar way, people might say, well, I don't believe in the goodness unless what I determine needs to happen. Unless I see that, I'm not believing in God's goodness. So you can see the parallel there. But we have to remember that God is always good, even when things don't appear that way to us. God is always good, even when things don't appear that way to us. Jesus says we are blessed when we believe in God's goodness, even when things seem contrary to that fact based on our limited sight and understanding. So Thomas had limited sight and understanding. He just couldn't believe how Jesus could have risen, so he wouldn't believe. But God says, no, even if it doesn't appear that way, I am still good. And that this kind of echoes what we learned in Hebrews. Hebrews 11.1, 1. uh, we just had a long series on Hebrews, and it says, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what? What we do not see. Right? And as this relates to our message today, this speaks of believing in God's goodness and care and protection when we don't necessarily see it. Our reality might say otherwise, but we still choose to believe in God's goodness. That remember, Jesus said, Bless are you when you believe and you don't see. Now, that doesn't mean we won't ever see God's goodness, of course, right? Because we already said in the beginning, that God loves to give good gifts to his children, right? So there are times when we will see and experience God's goodness. We can point it out. And it's totally appropriate and God honoring that when we see it, we say, God is good. Look what he did, right? That is totally appropriate. There are many times a prayer of ours is answered or we get some sort of unexpected blessing. God is good. Amen. That's, that's wonderful. We are told to thank God and to point that out. But here's where we get into trouble and where we can believe a lie. We have to be careful not to conclude the opposite, that when my prayers aren't answered the way I want, when I can't see God working on my behalf, well, therefore, God must not be good. So we have to be really careful not to conclude the opposite. In other words, if God gives me what I want or think I need, he is good. If God doesn't give me what I want or think I need, he is not good. Remember, God is above our circumstances. He's essentially good in his character. He was good before time even began. So we need to not rely on our interpretation of circumstances. Now, this is not a bury your head in the sand kind of theology. This is not where you, like, you blindingly declare God's goodness by completely denying the reality of what you're living. That's that's not what God's calling us to do. He's saying, on the one hand... You, you see your circumstances for what they are. You, you give them to the Lord. You pray about them. You agonize in prayer. On the other hand, you 100% affirm the goodness of God. And together, you trust God to make sense of it, right? That somehow God will bring this all together one day for his glory and for our good, and I'm going to hold both things as true. Now, going back to the story I mentioned earlier about my husband's sudden cardiac arrest, I, I'm, I'm pretty chill when it comes to medical things with my kids, just ask them, I don't freak out. I'm like, okay, just hang on, let's give it some time, all this stuff. So I remember driving down to the hospital, and you know, I'm like, okay, I heard his voice, he seems fine, I'm talking to him, I get down to the hospital, and person after person kept telling me, your husband has the best friends in the world, He, those people die in these circumstances. And I learned later on that if you have a cardiac arrest outside of a hospital setting, 90% of the people do not survive. And I'm just like... Oh my gosh, like it just totally hit me emotionally. And to, like I said, since that time, I've declared many times how good God was to spare him, to spare my family. And I have declared this goodness of God to many uh, people many times. But I also have to say that if God had not chosen to spare his life, that if I was suddenly left a single mom of six children, one of whom we just adopted, that he would have manifested his goodness to me in other ways. So yes, he was good to spare his life, but if, if he hadn't, God would have showed up in other ways that would have been good. Not the, maybe not the way I want it, but it still would have been good. So even if it doesn't feel like it, God always acts for our good. So theologically speaking, God is good all the time, He chooses to manifest his goodness in ways which we sometimes understand and point out and often don't understand. And that circumstances never change his character of goodness. I'm going to read that one more time. So theologically speaking, God is good all the time. He chooses to manifest his goodness in ways which we sometimes understand and often don't understand. And that circumstances never change his character of goodness. Here's another story just to kind of reinforce this idea. Um, A man shared a story about a time when he was in seminary and one of his professors asked his class to pray for his wife. She was going to see the doctor because of some symptoms which might indicate cancer. Later, the professor reported to the class that her tests were negative, that she did not have cancer. We all breathed a sigh of relief and rightfully so. But the professor was not through with his report to us. He went on to challenge us concerning our definition of good. He indicated several people have responded saying something like God is good to the report that his wife did not have cancer. Yes, the professor said, God is good. But I have to say to you that if the doctor's report had been that my wife did have cancer, God is still good. The professor knew what we also must know if we are to think biblically about the goodness of God. God is always good whether he sends prosperity or pain, health or sickness. That's a really tough lesson to learn but it, it's very comforting to embrace there are many things i this is something i want you to think about something i've given a lot of thought about there's a lot of things we desire on earth to show that god is good okay so a few of them i'll list we want oh i want, we want wonderful health that would be an evidence of god's goodness to me we want abundant provision right plenty of financial resources we want healthy and satisfying relationships that would prove god's goodness right so we think, well, if we don't experience these things, God must not be good. But the irony is, many of the things that we desperately want on this earth are often things that God has actually given to us in eternity. We will have these things. We will have wonderful health. It could be here, but it will guarantee be in heaven, right? We will have amazing resurrected bodies. We may have abundant financial provisions here, but if we don't, it's okay. In eternity, God says we will have everything we need. There will be nothing that we will lack. We desire healthy and satisfying relationships here. Sometimes we have them, sometimes we don't. But in in heaven, we will have the most satisfying relationships because we will be with Jesus face to face, and we will be with people in complete harmony because there's no sin in heaven. That's just amazing. So many of the things we desire on earth is actually a God-given desire That is sometimes fulfilled on earth, but definitely fulfilled in heaven. But what we do is we get in trouble when we kind of expect or demand them of God now. God is, he can use his wisdom and decide what to give us when, right? Out of his goodness and wisdom, he may choose to give us now, but out of his goodness and wisdom, he may choose to wait for eternity. So how does I can't, I can't really speak for the Lord. His ways are so much higher than our ways. But how does God decide? Like, okay, you, know, you pray for something and you don't feel your answers are being, your prayers are being answered. How does God, like what are his priorities, right? How does he answer prayer according to his priorities and not our priorities? So God's good purposes are twofold. His number one priority is to bring many people to repentance, right? The Bible says that he is patient. He wants many people to come to know him. His second priority is to transform us, his children, more and more into the image of Jesus. His priority is not to make us happy. His priority is not to simply give us what we want or what we think is best. So just remember that his goodness will appear different on earth than it will one day in heaven. But I also don't want you to get the impression that God doesn't care about the hard things that we experience. uh, Because that would be a false impression. So while his his purposes are much higher than ours, he cares deeply for what his children are going through. We live in a broken world, and we need to remember that even though God's goodness is above any circumstances that we face, we can see his goodness and how he cares for us in hardships and sorrows. I love this verse, if you haven't heard this before. It's from Psalm 56, verse 8. You keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. We have a good God who cares for us in all our sorrows and afflictions. And remember what Psalm 27:13 says. Perhaps you've heard this verse too. It says, I will remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So while some of God's, the, the things we desire may not take place until we get to heaven, we will see God's goodness on earth. And we need to be on the lookout for that. He will show us his goodness, even in the hardest of times. One way we can definitely see God's goodness in the land of the living is by the greatest gift he has ever given to us, which is Jesus. Classic verse, John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave, he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So out of God's great goodness, he gave of himself. And also, he didn't send Jesus to condemn, but out of his goodness, he sent Jesus to save. This echoes a verse which has become special to me in the last year or so, which is from Romans 2.4. And it speaks so, goodly, uh, so beautifully about God's goodness in sending us his son. It says, do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long suffering?" not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. Some other versions say the kindness of God leads you to repentance. So what does that mean? The the goodness of God leads you to repentance. When we think about how good God has been to us, how loving and kind and merciful he has been to sinners who have nothing good to offer on our own, right? We've only turned our backs on him and gone our own way. When we think about how good he has been to people like us, it should drive us into the arms of our good father. He beckons us to accept the most amazing sacrifice of Jesus on the cross for our sins. And nowhere is God's goodness more evident than in the person of Jesus. This is, this is why we see the stories of Jesus, the four stories, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are called gospels, because the word gospel means good news, right? It says the good news of God's goodness to us in Jesus. So God in his goodness had made a possible way for sinners to be welcomed and forgiven by God, like we saw in our Prodigal Son series, right? That God in his goodness gave us an opportunity to be made right with God. In his goodness, he gave us the ability to receive the gift of his Holy Spirit who guarantees our salvation and empowers us to show his goodness to others. God's goodness also guarantees our eternal life. So if you've never trusted in the saving work of Jesus, please hear the following verse that to encourage you to do so. Psalm 34, 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. So in other words, this verse in the vernacular might be, give God a try, put him to the test, right? And lean into a God who never casts away a repentant heart. You will see that he will show himself faithful to you, And he will shower you with goodness in the ways that are most meaningful and the most significant for eternity, in ways that will fulfill his purposes for you. So let's consider um, two points of application today based on all that we have covered. Um, First, we're going to look at taste and see, and we're going to look at just a few more verses beyond that. So let me read that again. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. So taste and see that the Lord is good in a spiritual sense kind of means try and experience. So David, who wrote this psalm, he's basically saying, don't just take my word for it. Give God a try. Take a step of faith, trust God, and watch for him to show you his goodness in your own life. One person put it this way he is figuratively calling people to take a bite to try for themselves by their own experiences and find out exactly how satisfyingly good God is So ask God to open your eyes to see his goodness everywhere If you look at Psalm Psalm 33:5 it says he loves the righteous he loves righteousness and justice the earth is what is full full of the goodness of the Lord and how narrow-sighted we can be to say that we really don't see God's goodness in our life. I also like the idea that taste and see that the Lord is good is not just a spiritual truth, but it's actually literally true. We can experience God's goodness through the five senses that God has blessed us with. Just think about a few of these things. Our sight. We can feast our eyes on his creation, right? We see these amazing vistas. And we can, it just screams out God's goodness and creativity. Think about our ears. We can hear the rolling thunder. We've heard a lot of that lately, right, with the, with the heat and humidity. We have the ability to distinguish one bird from another. We can sometimes, when we're, we're dead asleep, we can hear something to alert us to protect ourselves. Amazing sense of hearing. Okay, can you hear me great thanks for waiting uh, smell we can smell our favorite ch- dessert from childhood and instantly be- recall amazing memories right we can smell something burning to alert us to danger god gave us the taste uh, the sense of taste right we can detect five different tastes sweet sour salty bitter and savory and we can even use our taste to determine if something is good or something has turned rancid and we should not eat it right Amazing what God has given us. Finally, touch With, through touch, we can touch we could close our eyes and we could like distinguish different things just through touch. and we can also be comforted and cared for by the simple touch of another. These amazing things, all these senses that God has given us, that we can see His goodness. <clears throat> now go, um, at the end, it said, taste and, if we taste and see that God is good, twice it says, we will lack no good thing. So if we trust God. And we ask him to show us his goodness and to trust him when we don't. It says we will lack no good thing. Now, there will be times in our life when we think there's something good that we should have and God's saying no to us. But this verse is essentially saying we will not lack anything that God has determined is good for us and that we truly need. He will always give us everything we need to fulfill his purposes in us and transform us more like Jesus. The second point of application is God wants us to give a sacrifice of praise. He wants us to praise him and speak of his goodness to others. In Psalm 145, verses 3 to 7, it states, Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works and I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. So this talks about the ways that God has showed his abundant goodness, right? Verse seven, they celebrate your abundant goodness and that we are, we are to praise God for his goodness. It, it gives all these different words to talk about how we speak about God and his goodness. Verse four, commends God's works. We tell of god's mighty acts verse 5 we speak of god's glorious splendor verse 6 we proclaim so we are to declare and praise god for his goodness so it's, it's it's very fitting when we see god doing something we praise god for his goodness but when i'm talking about the sacrifice of praise i'm thinking about something a little different hebrews 13 15 again going back to the hebrews book we just studied says, through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. So what is a sacrifice of praise? It might seem kind of strange to combine, combine the words sacrifice and praise, right? They kind of seem to be like opposite ideas. Usually, when we think of praising God, we think of thanking God for something that directly benefits us, right? We have a grateful heart, and effortlessly our praises flow from that grateful heart. We see and experience God's goodness, and we worship God, and we talk about, just as the Psalm said, we commend and we tell and we speak of God's goodness to other people. This kind of praise is worthwhile and appropriate, but it doesn't necessarily cost us anything to do that. But a sacrifice of praise um, is put this way by a commentary commentator, I really like it. He wrote, there are those times when God does not come through the way we thought he would. The medical test comes back positive, The spouse wants a divorce. A child is wayward. The mortgage company calls in the loan. God seems very far away, and praise is the last thing bubbling up from our hearts. We can't see his goodness, and circumstances scream that he has forgotten us. And this is where it comes to the handout. To praise God in hard circumstances requires personal sacrifice. It takes an act of the will to lay our all on the altar before a God we don't understand. When we bring a sacrifice of praise, we choose to believe that even though life is not going as we think it should, God is still good and can be trusted. And that's what a sacrifice of praise is, is a personal sacrifice, an act of the will where we choose to praise God for his goodness despite how things appear. So let me give a a personal example of what a sacrifice of praise might look like. Uh, when it costs something to declare God's goodness. Uh, As many of you know, I I have had two sisters who have passed away young from breast cancer. At the end of both of their lives, they were strong believers who had to wrestle with the reality that they would likely die young. They saw the end coming, right? So you might think, well, how could they keep believing in a God who would allow such a thing? How could they still believe that God was good even in the face of death? And I believe my sisters knew what Peter knew. Do you remember when Peter was said, are you gonna stop following Jesus too? And Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and we know that you are the holy one of God. My sisters knew that their only real hope for eternal life, for salvation, their, their only hope for anything that truly mattered in this life and in the life to come, rested in Jesus and his victory over sin and death. And with this knowledge, both of them offered up sacrifices of praise. My sister Charlene, when she was laying in the hospital about a week before she had died, she had her arms raised high, worship music playing, and she's singing out loud and praising her God, tears flowing down her face, praising her good God who offered her true life beyond this life. My sister Andrea also offered a sacrifice of praise in this very room Literally in this very spot where I'm standing. About 11 days before she died, we had a gathering of her friends and loved ones here. And she stood here with an oxygen tank supplying her, you know, air to breathe. And she praised God for his goodness to her despite her physical decline. That's a sacrifice of praise, to praise God in the face of what just looks unbearable. Who but the most wonderful, amazing, awesome, and good God could fill someone with such faith at the end of their life? Truly, they both offered up a sacrifice of praise to God. In preparation for this message, I listened to a message by a man named Jack Graham. He spoke about the goodness of God, and he said this one quote I want to give him credit for because it stuck with me. He said, we ought to be walking around not like a question mark, but like an exclamation point. And that that really stuck to me. Rather than focusing on our questions, we should be focusing on our praise of God who is good. And we should be joyful Christians who praise God no matter what. So to wrap it up, this message of the goodness of God, it may not totally satisfy you. And that's because we don't totally understand God's ways, right? His ways are higher than our ways. It says in Isaiah, For my thoughts are not your thoughts neither are my ways your ways my ways declares the lord as the heavens are higher than the earth so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts so you have to ask if we could understand everything god does what kind of god would we be serving he would be totally reduced to our level right but god is so amazing and great and glorious, and gracious, all the things we have been studying, his ways are higher than our ways. We need to keep coming back and affirming our belief in God's attribute of his goodness, his essential character. And God is basically saying to us, and this is the last point on your handout, and I'll give you a clue, every blank is the word no. God is basically saying to us, I know what I know. You don't know what I know. But you know me. So you should trust my goodness in the things I know that you don't know. I'll say that one more time. It's a little tricky. (laughs) I know what I know. You don't know what I know. But you know me. So you should trust my goodness in the things I know that you don't know. Doesn't mean we can't know anything, though, right? What we can know is that God is good. And knowing and believing this in faith will help us trust him in the circumstances that are just incomprehensible to us. When we struggle to believe his goodness in hard circumstances, God wants us to turn our, ways, our eyes from the answers that we crave and fix them on the God we need. So I'll say that again. In, in these hard moments of life, God wants to turn our eyes away from the answers that we crave and fix them on the God that we need. Again, this may feel a bit unsatisfying, but a very liberating truth. It's as if God is saying, the mysteries associated with me are more satisfying than the answers proposed without me. The mysteries associated with me are more satisfying than the answers proposed without me. So pain is either going to drive you to God in faith, right, or it's going to drive you away from God in pride, thinking that you know better than God. There really are two choices, right? Pain will either drive you to God in faith or away from God in pride, thinking that you know better than Him. And it's our choice how we handle that. We are to come humbly to God, ask God to make us content in not knowing, and surrender our circumstances to Him in faith. If we do this, God will receive much glory when we trust Him and His good character. Life is hard. We all know that, right? It doesn't come in neat little boxes for us to understand We can't process everything we experience. But let us together trust the good God who knows the end from the beginning. And if you could say this with me, God is good. God is good. Thank you. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, together in prayer we want to thank you for how amazingly good you have been to us. You have saved us. You have removed our sins from us. You have delivered us from the evil one. You have called us into your heavenly kingdom as sons and daughters of the King. How good you are to continue to change us more and more into the image of our Lord Jesus. How good you have been to us to place your Holy Spirit inside of us, guaranteeing our salvation and empowering us to carry out your good purposes in this world. We praise you, Father, for satisfying our desires with good things. We praise you for withholding no good thing from those who follow after you. We thank you that any good and perfect gift in our lives has come from your hand and from the Father of lights who does not change and is always good. We admit that we don't always see your goodness in our lives, for our eyes wander and we get fixed on our problems. When we struggle and doubt your goodness, help us to have faith to believe, even when we cannot see it now, that you are working all things together for our good. Help us in our weakness, Father, to declare your goodness. May we tell of your goodness to others, not fearing the response, but pointing them to our good Heavenly Father. May your goodness to us inspire us to live lives of gratitude and service to others. Thank you for your patience, kindness, and goodness, which provide the opportunity for more people to repent and become your children. And thank you for the hope of heaven a place where your goodness is on full display in ways we can only imagine. Thank you for a place where every tear will be wiped away, where sin is completely removed, where bodies are fully restored, where relationships are healthy and pure, where every provision is fully provided. How good you are to us, Father, both now and forevermore. Amen.